What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I am here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, do you like ketchup on your burgers? Because we're playing a lot of it this week. Hey, hey. I like what you did there. Obviously, Solo, Fahrenheit 451, and The Tale have all dropped. But guess what? We're not talking about that today because... Thank you, MoviePass. We've been able to see a lot of movies. And a shout out Amazon Prime for one of these. But we're going to be talking about some smaller movies that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about because culture has just been that rampant and in abundance this year. We're going to start with your girl, Zoe Kravitz who you said is having a bit of a moment here. So talk to me about her movie, Gemini. Yeah, dog. So hot, watch this camp beforehand, but hot off Rache Fremmerd and Janelle Monet, Zoe Kravitz back on our lives once again. But realistically, this was premiered at South by Southwest 2017. So people already know about this movie. But it's a movie that we would like to uh, put shine on because this is a movie that was in release for, I don't know, three weeks. It was not in a lot of theaters. Everyone saw Solo. Not a lot of people saw Gemini. So it's something that we didn't want to wait on you know if we didn't talk about it now probably we're gonna get to it everything else that's coming out right yeah so gemini is this mystery thriller movie from director aaron katz he doesn't have much much credits kind of new in the game but yeah it has zoe kravitz and lola kirk as the two leads and zoe kravitz plays this like famous actress in celebrity in you know los angeles and lola kirk plays her like assistant and a mystery unfolds and i think lola kirk's performance is really good and I actually really have a lot of time for Zoe Kravitz acting. I mean, she didn't get a lot to do in Big Little Lies, but I think as like a co-lead in this movie, she was quite strong. And then uh, once the uh, crime happens, John Cho is the detective. That's kind of, you know, the, the frame of the plot. But the, the stuff I really like about this movie and why I think it's worth a watch for everyone is that, like, we say beautifully shot a lot. It's kind of cliche for, like, anyone who talks about movies, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's right. beautifully shot. It looks great. But in this one, like, the camera work, like, I... So I saw this movie. I was the only one in the theater. So I had my phone out. I was taking notes the whole time because I was so impressed. (laughs) And the camera work is impressive as fuck. Sometimes there's a beautiful handheld camera and it'll like pan side to side as characters are walking like some Aaron Sorkin walk and talk shit. Mm -hmm. And then there was like this amazing drone shot of Los Angeles. In general, the Los Angeles skylines are in a lot of awesome shots. Then there was this really cool point where the camera was fixed. And then it changes focus on like a plant in the foreground at, at the end of the scene. There was also this really cool one, like, you know, like a stereotypical like windy road in the LA hills. They're following a motorcycle and the camera like pans like on like a pivot. And there's a lot of cool stuff. There's some really cool tracking car shot stuff, as well as uh, the sound design I thought was really good. There was this like really strategic use of bass early in the movie in terms of music. So the lighting also was really good as well. I thought it really kind of fit the mood as a mystery movie in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So the filmmaking is really impressive for this. And the story is a, you know, a kind of a thrilling mystery. And the performances are strong. So I think Gemini is a, you know, it's well-reviewed, 77 on Rotten Tomatoes, but that's still 40 43 reviews to 13 reviews you know that's not the 180 positive reviews avengers has not a lot of people are talking about gemini so i think it's a movie that's going to fly under the radar still definitely worth everyone's time lola kirk in particular really stands out i mean she was in gone girl but i think this is like her first like big lead she kind of reminded me a lot of Mackenzie Davis, actually, who uh, we'll talk about later in the pod. But yeah, this is, this is something I definitely recommend. And it's yet another good movie from uh, Neon, which is that new distributor hot on the scene after I, Tanya and Inger Goes West. Uh, we talk about A24 and Blumhouse a lot, but I think Neon is another one that's even newer. They don't even have a Wikipedia page yet, but you know they're rising. Gemini, I highly recommend. 
every trailer I've seen for Gemini, basically. I get that noir feel. It's like a lot of neon lights with like dark foreboding, like lighting around the edges and right. just like a gritty feel to it. I definitely want to check it out when it comes to, you know, on demand. VOD. Yeah, something I've watched on demand. Borg versus McEnroe. So Janice Metz, this is really her first breakout film, I guess, if you want to call it that. She did mm-hmm. Armadillo a couple of years back and also directed a couple episodes of True Detective. But right now this is sitting at a, a really uh, astute 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I am very impressed with this movie, but mostly because Shia LaBeouf, I don't, I can't really think of a film where he's been this good. I mean, a great, great performance from him. It, it stars him, Sphere Goodnison and Stellan Skarsgård. And it's basically a biographical sports look at the Borg versus McEnroe tennis matchup from Wimbledon back in the 80s. And kind of at these two people who are so opposite, you know, uh, if you know anything about Borg, he was a very like flat presentation, always within himself, always controlled. And McEnroe was just like a firecracker all the time, screaming at refs, screaming at fans, huge outbursts on the court, but kind of looking at how their lives are actually kind of similar off the court in ways like this, this drive to be great and where, where that drive came from and how it kind of led them to handle their emotions and their feelings in such different ways. It's easy to, to focus on Shia because McEnroe, I think, is the person that most Americans know and relate to. I mean, he still does tennis analysis today. Sphere in this is like unbelievable because he has such a harder role because to, he has to pretty much give off all this emotion and all this th- this performance that has to be so calculated and controlled. And he really only has like moments as his character, the older Borg, to kind of show like the emotional side underneath it. Whereas a lot of it is a lot of his emotional side is, sh- is shown from the child actor that plays him. Borg is a child. So definitely very interesting. And also anything that makes tennis kind of like interesting and, and fun to watch. I also give a shout out to because I like tennis, but it's not necessarily the most interesting thing for a movie yeah watching stuff about like borg and McEnroe or jimmy connors or anything from that time even i didn't see but battle of the sexes about billy jean king with emma stone right anything about tennis back then is just more interesting than tennis today <laughs> i know you know what's interesting about borg versus McEnroe? it was also distributed by neon yeah uh, but they did an interesting thing they released it in a small amount of theaters but it did same day vod that's how you got to see it on amazon prime right right so i thought that was an interesting choice because i mean they debuted this at toronto film festival last fall doing a traditional rollout but for whatever reason they decided to i guess not sink too much money into a release but how does it function as a sports movie because it's about about sports but you know how you know some sports movies are better than others you have your raging bulls and your creeds which are more character films and then you have stuff like Hoosiers which is still good but definitely different not as deep yeah you know I I think the only time it really relies really on the sports element is the actual match between them in the finals at Wimbledon which is actually really dramatically shot and of course they have this like playoff where they're trading points and neither one can pull away for like I forgot how many but it was like an absurd amount of points and that really just showed the basically like was the climax of it where they pulled together that these two people are so similar and on such an even playing field and come from such different but also similar backgrounds really well done and also after seeing that uh, Janice Metz had been a director for True Detective 
it made a lot more sense because the way things were shot, just the kind of like the look of the whole thing, I did get True Detective type vibes a lot of the time. I don't think they use body, body doubles because it's kind of hard to cover that up when you're showing them actually doing the strokes, which right. in that sense, I give LaBeouf and, and Goodenson a ton of credit because to do it and to like replicate the way that these two very famous tennis players played and, and do it so right. closely is really impressive. So definitely something to check out and it's easy. I mean, you're, if you have Amazon Prime, just rent it. It'll probably be actually on Prime sooner rather than later. Yeah, probably. So is this your favorite Shia role? Shia's kind of been in the news for some some of the wrong reasons. Actually, probably his biggest blow up recently was kind of a good thing where he was arguing with Richard Spencer, but he's had some tough times, but I actually like him as an actor. What did you think of him? I mean, Shia is very interesting, but I thought this role pretty perfect for him because, I mean, I think the thing most people know him for is, or at least recently is like when he was doing that like watching the movie and just following his life as like art like type thing where he's mm-hmm. like streaming it live it kind of allows him to play both sides where he can be his quirkiness or his outgoing self and then also that obviously he's a person with who's very thoughtful and introspective in a lot of ways or at least tries to be i really love this role i think my favorite shy role is probably holes but that's also like very nostalgic <laughs> for me so sure I, like i said i can't remember a performance that shy has done that's been better than this so i'm eager to see it just because i really love shy and fury the uh, mm, World War II right. tank movie with Brad Pitt, Shia, Michael Pena, John Bernthal, and Logan Lerman. Yeah. Uh, I thought that movie is great and brutally underrated. And he really brings it because he can just go full method in a role like that. I'm hoping he's, you know, getting back in the swing of things. He does have another movie in post-production right now. So, you know, we can hold that hope because I do think he's a really talented guy. He just had a lot of personal issues. Definitely. Why don't we move on to Chappaquiddick, a movie that probably not as high as The Rotten Tomatoes is. John Curran directs this biopic of uh, biography drama again about Ted Kennedy and the, I don't know what to call it, the manslaughter uh charges that he avoided that's what it is yeah when he drove off a bridge on chappaquiddick island and killed mary joe kopechny i was gonna say thanks for saying that because there's no way i was pronouncing that correctly jason clark stars as ted kennedy kate mar is mary joe ed helms is joe gargan jim gaffigan's in this bruce stern plays joe kennedy senior did you like this movie was it a movie you left feeling like yeah i did like this movie but i do like history movies in general i like this because i thought this was this was a, a, a biopic of sorts but it was more than just a dramatic retelling of events the way like Paterno on HBO was, which we reviewed recently. Check that out, soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod. But yeah, I thought Chabaquitic told his story in a thoughtful way. You know, in the story, it's not spoilers, it's just history. Ted Kennedy basically gets off. And, you know, despite the fact that he was a great servant of the Senate for 47 years, I mean, one of, you know, the most prolific politicians we've ever had, he did get away with a major mistake. And it's kind of been brushed under the rug until recently. And I'm like the way they told it. And I also thought Jason Clark's performance was really good. I'm a fan of Jason Clark and I've seen him in a lot of stuff and he was, you know, he was fucking capital A acting in this. Yeah. And I mean, it's a role that's it's tough because you're trying to portray a person from a very famous family, a very famous person at that. He did the accent at times, didn't do the accent at times, but he also kind of pulled off the look well, which, you know, mm-hmm. at times I thought, damn, I can't believe they found someone that actually kind of looks like Ted Kennedy because right. he's a very distinct looking person. Especially someone famous that you already know about. Exactly. I actually thought Ed Helms was the heart of this movie. Uh, Definitely the heart which i mean it speaks to the fact that he was probably the one that embodied the audience's feelings for most of this kind of like that just do the right thing type feeling but it did look at kind of the the two sides kind of pulling at ted to handle it in different ways and for different reasons why right yeah ed helms good for him another dramatic role he's had only a few of those but 
he's a talented guy and he's you know he hasn't been acting in a whole lot uh, recently yeah. so but yeah he played joe gargan and from what we know that was a pretty accurate portrayal of how things went down joe gargan became estranged from the kennedy family after the incident i mean to jason clark looking like him he actually had blocks in his mouth Makes so sense. that he would talk the way kennedy talked and he said actually you know long days shooting it would actually make his like gums bleed by the end of the day so he was really going for it with this role committed you know it's one of the best uh, acting performances i've seen in the year so far i was really impressed and i actually thought uh Bruce Dern, you know, playing uh, Joe Kennedy on Death's Door, but mm-hmm. also really, li- and this is to the movie's credit, kind of showing the other side to Joe Kennedy, where even at that old age, the one word he can let out is alibi. Alibi. And also, I really like Clancy Brown. He's obviously notorious for voice acting these days, but as Robert McNamara, someone who we just saw portrayed in the post, seeing like he's a professional politician, one of the most prolific people we've had in our government. And I know some people like find movies like this really dry, which I get, mm-hmm. but I-, I was a big fan. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. I think what I kind of left feeling is sometimes I think the emotional stuff for Ted didn't totally hit when it was when he's talking to his dad, you know, Jason Clark talking to, to Bruce Dern about how, you know, Jack and Robert were great because they were great men, not because of him. Something about that didn't land for me. I'm not really sure what that was. I probably should give it another watch and see if it, it lands a second time. I think it's also kind of a tough task making a movie about this incident. There's just so much characterization you have to do with putting any Kennedy on screen, especially Ted Kennedy, once both of his brothers were already killed. There's a lot to pull off there. I mean, like you said, I thought they they definitely gave it their best shot with, I think it looked like 1969, and they sounded like it. But yeah, I think you're right. It's tough to convey the emotion that Ted Kennedy would have without another few hours of backstory. (laughs) You kind of have to like understand that going in as as the audience right well and, and who doesn't know that story by now but kind of jumping from one story about a car going into water to another story where a car goes into water spoilers a, a bit of a spoiler there's it's not huge to the to the actual sure. story you don't know what that told. means anyway tully jason reitman probably the most famous director we're talking about uh easily <laughs> air juno thank you for smoking tully sitting pretty at 87 percent rotten tomatoes 75 percent metacritic got charlie's theron kenzie davis Ron Livingston, Mark Duplass, quite the cast. In a very unexpected turn in this movie, you see the trailers and you kind of think this movie is about, you know, motherhood. And in a sense it is, but it's really about Marlo's understanding of herself, her her mental health. I mean, what stood out to you about this movie? What did you like? Yeah, no, I think to that point, like, you're like, oh, it's a movie about postpartum depression. She's just had her third child and she's really struggling, you know, with motivation and energy and parenting in general right like okay charlie's a great actor i think i can i may see where this is going but it probably will pay off and what you don't expect is that as soon as Mackenzie davis's character tully comes in as the the night nanny basically to help Mm -hmm. and they start having like you know like slumber parties almost when they're just confiding in each other and i mean at one point they have that convo about taking boards out of the ship and then the cells regenerating and are, are you still that person and it really gets in like the human condition in a way you did not expect to get to but i really like this movie and I think once you get into Act 3 and the movie really gets there going, because it takes a while for Tully to show up, but once it gets yep. going, I think it really pays off. I know some people are think that it lands too softly at the end, but I really liked it. I don't want, really want to get into spoilers because I don't think a lot of people have seen this, but I, I think if there's one criticism of it, it's that the consequences that the character faces or that maybe they face, but they don't really make explicit, really aren't known based on what happens in the third act. But I do think the, the commentary it says about what it means to be yourself at a certain time in your life and then how things change based on your goals, based on the decisions you make, based on where you're at in your life, and especially something like parenthood 
is really telling and it's also really moving to kind of when the twist does happen to kind of see how that changes the, the what the story means just in general it's it's a totally different movie once that twist comes about for sure did you yeah. see it coming no. I didn't see it coming. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think when I started to was kind of in the third act when there were so many similarities and things. I was kind right. Of like, eh, I feel is... like I think I maybe started thinking about like maybe a minute or two before it happened. Right. But not exactly. till like not till like right at the end. You know, it's kind of hard to talk about it without really going into that. But I thought Theron and Mackenzie Davis had great chemistry. And Definitely. They were just blew me away in this. Yeah, and you know, honestly, the movie needed them to have it. A lot of the movies, those two having a conversation in a room. Yep. I mean, this is Jason Reitman's fourth collab with Diablo Cody, who wrote. I mean, obviously, she was nominated for Best Original Screenplay for Juno, and then also worked with him on Young Adult. Reitman also got two Best Directors between Juno and Up in the Air. So, like, there's this is like a really good creative team. They needed to nail, I think, that chemistry, but also like the script because it's a lot on the actors to just to really carry these scenes. And obviously, they picked two really competent people. Charlize kind of goes without saying at this point, but she's really been on a hot streak lately. And also picking, you know, different roles. She's not like she's so hot right now. She could sell out a lot more. You know, like she did Fast Eight, but. To do this work, she does not look very attractive in this movie, despite being a gorgeous woman. So I give her a lot of credit for continuing to pick different kinds of roles. I know. Well, it was funny because when I when I walked in the movie theater I went to, they had like T-shirts for you know, different movies that have come out, and one of the people selling the tickets was wearing an Atomic Blonde shirt, and I was like, "Damn!" I saw Charlize Theron as Atomic Blonde, and I saw her as this early '30s mom who's like struggling with her life, and just like that range that she's showing, and really kind of uh, continuing to establish herself as one of the top in the game is awesome. And Mackenzie Davis taking that next step. She was obviously in Martian, San Junipero, things like that. But this is, I think, her real like first like step towards like superstardom. She gets great remarks in Halt and Catch Fire, but that was right. a show that was not well-watched. No one watched it. Us included. I, I would like to watch it still, but I have to make time. And she was recently cast in the sixth Terminator movie, and apparently she's not playing Sarah Connor. She's playing somebody else. And she was in Blade Runner 2049, of course. Mm-hmm. In that smaller role, but more Mackenzie Davis. Put her in more stuff. She is electric. Please. Definitely. As soon as she shows up in this movie, when you know she first comes to the house at night, I was like, "Wow, she's bringing it." It wasn't phoned in, and like, but that also speaks to the script. Like her character, I thought was very well written. Definitely, and you know, just magnetic, totally magnetic. We do need to wrap up there. What do we got next week, Dave? So next week we will probably come at you with multiple pods because this Friday Kanye West, as far as we know, is still going to be dropping a new album. We'll have to catch up on Pusha T's King Push and Solo, of course, and Fahrenheit 451 really hyped out from HBO. The reviews are great. And same for reviews for The Tale, Laura Dern's HBO movie. So a lot to get with. Rest of development, uh, we'll probably get that a little later, but a lot coming out slash already came out. So we will be catching up, but we didn't want to let these, you know, four lesser known, lesser seen movies go into the radar because I think that's kind of the, when you have a platform and not that we have like a massive platform, but it's smart to shine, put shine on stuff. It's kind of like a last week, XXL Freshman. Absolutely. You don't only put little pumps on the cover, put less famous rappers on that. In this case, put your Gemini's on the cover. So that's why we're doing it. Definitely. And if you want us to be covering anything that we're not, you know, hit us up at Nostalgia Pod on Twitter, subscribe to the YouTube channel, interact with us here, soundcloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod, give us a rating and review on iTunes, everywhere that you can get in contact with us, please interact with us. We, we need your feedback to keep growing and we want to be bringing you what you want to hear. And so until we're talking about Kanye West next week, because we don't talk about that enough on this channel. Peace <laughs> out. Yeah.